Welcome to the Freedom Club Podcast. I'm Phil Pustiowski. I want to talk to you about an uh, interesting subject, fascinating subject that is seldom talked about. But it, it comes at a point where, we, where we're seeing across the country uh, real estate investors and agents are, are puzzled by the behavior of banks. <laughs> They're puzzled by why certain deals do not go through, whether it's a foreclosure or a short sale or even a loan modification. You know, I've even had some investors and agents come and tell me, they say, well, Phil, they're idiots. Well, that's not really the way it is. Uh, banks are actually quite smart. It's that many people don't understand how our banking system in America works. So that's what the subject of this podcast is, and that is how our banking system works and the truth behind the Federal Reserve. Okay, so... Before we really dive into this whole thing, I, I want to just share a little story with you. When I was first getting started, oh, so many years ago, <laughs> four score and seven years ago, I also had no idea about the banking system in America. And the topic came up, and I was talking with my mentor, and he said, you have no idea how our money systems work in this country, do you? And I was a bit puzzled by the question. He goes, you know, just explain to me how you think banks and, and whatnot, how, how it works. And I said, well, you know, uh, people put their money in for deposits and then they lend back that money out to other people for a, you know, and they, they charge an interest rate and then they make the money on the difference between what was put into the bank and then what they lent out. So whatever that, maybe that's a 6% difference or a 4% difference. And um, so my mentor, as he's listening, he's kind of smiling, shaking his head. You can picture it. And he's kind of mum uh, mumbling to, to himself, dear, dear Phil. And so as I continue, he finally at one point just stops me and he says, you have absolutely no idea how this works. He goes, so um, let me ask you this, Phil. He says, do you, do you think that when a bank has a foreclosure or a short sale or something along those lines, do you think they lose their money? He said, well, yeah. So he said, so, okay, so if the bank was owed, say, 300000 on a property and they end up agreeing to get rid of it for two fifty, do you think they lose $50,000? I said, yeah, of course. You, know, so you really have no idea. <laughs> so as this continues, I mean, I almost get, I get a little bit offended. I'm like, look, I, I've been to college. I've taken the econ courses. I'm not a complete idiot. He said, well, he said, no one's informed you of how this system works. He goes, you know, and I, I'm, I'm trying to defend myself. And he says, why don't you go ahead and explain to me how the Federal Reserve works? And I said, well, I'm not totally sure it works. I said, but, you know, obviously it's a, it's a government entity. And, and what it does is it, um, it helps regulate the, you know, the economic benefit of our country, right? He goes, yep. All right, we're going to have to start from the beginning then, Phil. <laughs> so I gave you that backdrop because, you know, that's where I was when I first um, was introduced to this concept. Maybe you're, you're there right now. So um, I'm going to try to make this quick because this is a subject that could go on for a, a very long time. Um, the, the book you want to read on this subject is called The Creature from Jekyll Island. Weird title, isn't it? The Creature from Jekyll Island. The Creature from Jekyll Island is the Federal Reserve. Okay, that's the title of the book is the, the Creature from Jekyll Island. I'm going to fill in the details as to why it's called that. Jekyll Island is a is an, a little island off the coast of Georgia. Jekyll, uh, J E 
K-Y-L-L, Jekyll. Okay. So, our banking system and the Federal Reserve. All right, let's go back about 4,000 years. A blacksmith has a friend of his that's got some gold, and his friend has to go on a trip. And he tells his blacksmith friend, he says, could you store this gold in one of them, in that big black cauldron of yours so I can, it can stay safe so when I go travel I don't have to worry about my gold? And he says, well, yeah, but, you know, I mean, it's going to put a little bit of risk on me when I, you know, somebody may want to steal it. He goes, okay, well, I'll give you a little bit of a fee for, for storing my money. He goes, oh, okay, great, thanks. All right, so that's, that's the beginning. And um, what happens is uh, a friend tells uh, another friend, he says, hey, man, I, I stored my gold at, at the, the blacksmith down the street. He said, if you need to go on a trip, you should store your gold there too. So he starts to get some customers. He becomes a gold-storing operation. Well, <laughs> somewhere along the line, somebody walks up and says, I hear you got lots of gold. You know, he says, no, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. He says, can I borrow some of that? And at first he's like, well, no, it's not mine. Ah, but you know how humans are. One thing leads to another, and he says, well, I don't think they're all going to come back from their trip at the same time. He says, now the gold's going to have to stay here inside the vault, but you can borrow it. But it's going to stay inside the vault. He said, sure. He says, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll borrow basically on paper. I'll borrow it, and then I'll, I'll bring it back to you. Okay, so now he's got this, this, this paper ledger where he's storing how much gold he's got in there, how much people are borrowing from him, and all is well. So he's charging the person to borrow, and he's charging the people to store the gold. Blacksmith's making out on both ends. Well, the small town. Somebody tells another person, they say, you know, I hear you're lending my money. And it's kind of an uncomfortable situation. He says, well, I am. But please don't take the money out. What, what if I pay you part of what they're paying me? Ah, that's the human way to do it. Go ahead and pay them off. So that's what happens. So now you've got a, a blacksmith who's now in the banking business. What he's done is he, people store their gold with him for safekeeping. They get a little bit of a fee off storing their money, and, the, and the, the money comes from these charging the borrower interest. And see, that's how I thought the banking system worked, right? All is well at this point. Seems to make sense. But watch what happens. The blacksmith starts to lend a lot more of the percentage of how much gold he's got in his pot. It's 50%, 75%. He gets close to 100%, literally lending out as much money as people have gold in the, in the pot. And then one day, he takes a huge leap of faith, and he starts to lend more than he's got in his vault. Uh-oh. Now that's where we ran into this idea of a run on the banks, where people would all run to get their deposits back, and all the money would be lent out even more than what was in there. Hmm. It's a problem, isn't it? That is why we have banking regulation. And I'll go into that in a little bit later detail. See, in a perfect world, we would have, we would have pulled back 
and not lent all that much money that was in the vault. But that didn't work out because, you know, human beings, how they are, they wanted, as opposed to doing that, that's a bad idea, they wanted to figure out how can we figure out a way where we can continue to lend more money than we have in the vault. It's called fractional banking. And have you ever thought to yourself, you ever walked into a bank? You know, they have, the, they have such a, a nice office usually. And if you're in a major metropolitan area, they may have the, the tallest buildings in the downtown area. Do you really think all the little deposits that they get stored into their vault and then they re-lend it back out, do you really, really think they can build the biggest buildings, pay their employees and pay their executives all that much money for the little 2 to 5% spread? Just get out your calculator. All you got to do is think to yourself, okay, if there was 50 million dollars in deposits, 50 million in deposits, and they were making, say, 2% off of that, you know what that number is? It's 10 million. Do you really think they could run a gigantic operation on 10 million dollars a year? One of those massive, massive banks? No. No. There's just no way. See, that's not how banks make their money. We're going to go back to fractional banking here. Okay, so what happens is if they have ten if they have a hundred thousand dollars in deposits, they can lend out ten times that much money. They can lend a million. Let me say that again. It's called fractional banking. A bank that puts $100,000 in its vault in the form of deposits can lend out a million. Huh? What? I mean, if you and I did that, if you went up to your neighbor and they said they needed to borrow 100 bucks, and you just said sure and all you had was 10 bucks, okay, that's illegal for you and me to do it. But banks do it every day. So how do they have the biggest buildings? How are they able to run such gigantic economic machines? Because they are getting paid interest on money that doesn't exist. Isn't that terrible? Okay. So when a bank does a foreclosure or a short sale, and they lose, quote-unquote, lose $50,000 on a $300,000 loan. Remember, the only real money in the deal was thirty grand. Was there was 10%. The other two seventy was funny money. It was, fade, it was made up. It was out of thin air. I know this. If, this is, if you already know about this, maybe I'm just telling you what you already know. But if you've never heard this before, you may not believe me. It's true. I mean, you can not believe me all day long. <laughs> this is how it works, okay? Sometimes your banker friends don't even know it, that what I'm describing is how it works. So banking regulation is all about regulating how much made-up money banks can make up because sometimes banks go from, you know, basically having that 10% in deposits, and they'll bring that number on down to 2 or 3%. They'll start to really, really... Uh, run an aggressive set of numbers. So for every 3% in, in deposits, they get 97% made up money. 
And, and that's when things get real dangerous. And that's when banks fail. Ah. That's when banks fail. So the depositors usually aren't too worried about their money. Because remember, I mean, they're lending out so much more than what is, than, than what they, uh, than what are in deposits. But that's why banks fail. Because they, they, basically the regulators shut them down. Because they, uh, in the, <laughs> It would be illegal for us to do that, but basically they're they're legalizing something that should be illegal, and they're organizing it in such a way so that uh, there are some rules to the illegality, if that makes sense. Now, uh, some economists would argue if if we didn't make up all this money, we couldn't build our country as fast as we've done it with all the big buildings and all the great infrastructure and the highways and the airplanes and the this and the that. Okay, we're not going to get an economic debate here. I'm telling you how it works as it relates to short sales, foreclosures, and loan modifications because I get the question all the time. And they think banks are stupid. They don't realize that banks don't care that much because most of it's made up money anyways. The only thing they're really concerned about is the regulators shutting them down. And if they're well within the regulators' um, you know, happy medium of how many foreclosures or defaulted loans, they don't care that much. They really don't. It's not a big deal to them. And so now we get to the the topic of this podcast. And, again, it's already going longer than I want it to, but I, I felt you guys would like that, that little background on banking. All right, where does the bank get their money? Like, in other words, if they're going to make up ten times their deposits, where where's this money coming from? It's coming a place called the Federal Reserve. Okay, what is the Federal Reserve? Well, I'll tell you this. It's neither federal nor a reserve. What? Huh? Yeah, the Federal Reserve is not a, it's not a government-run organization. It's a privately held corporation. And when I say privately held, there isn't a list of owners. We don't even know who owns the Federal Reserve. We can speculate, as uh, many people do. The Federal Reserve is a privately owned corporation, and what it does is it makes interest on all the debt in this country. Or again, for the debt that's that's through a Federal Reserve bank. Excuse me. Again, you may lend money to your neighbor. The Federal Reserve is not making money on that money. It's, it's your money. But the Federal Reserve is a banking cartel. Now, what's a cartel? When you hear that name, cartel, it sounds like it's a negative connotation. Our cartel is when you have a whole bunch of, um, or maybe it's 5, it's 10, it's 15, it's 20 competitors that all get together and kind of control the market. Um, there, is a, there is a grain cartel you may or may not know about that controls the, uh, the, the market of grain. There's, there's oil cartels like OPEC that control oil. So there are different types of cartels, and the goal of a cartel is always the same. And that is to knock out all of the smaller competitors so the big boys can control the market. Okay, so how is the Federal Reserve a banking cartel? Well, we have to go back to how it was created. Okay, the Federal Reserve was actually a um, was put into um, into law in 1913, but it was actually written in 1907. Now, who wrote this law? Well, it wasn't Congress, and it wasn't legislature. <laughs> um, it was a it was a a group of people that met on Jekyll Island, there's your Jekyll Island, met on Jekyll Island in 1907, and this group of people is a secret meeting, seven people, uh, they represented 
one-fourth of all the wealth in the world at that time. Um, they represented the, the Rockefellers, uh, J, the Morgans, J.P. Morgan. They represented the Rothschilds. They represented one-fourth of all the wealth in the world. In fact, one of the people at the meeting was a gentleman by the name of Paul Warburg, and you may recognize Paul Warburg uh, from the the uh, the show Orphan Annie and that story about Daddy Warbucks. That's where the name came from. Daddy Warbucks is Paul Warburg. Okay, so these these men met on Jekyll Island. This is where the billionaires hung out at that time in 1907. Again, they it'd be billionaires in today's numbers, but back then they were just multi 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 millionaires and. They sat around and tried to figure out a way to remove the competition because there were competition creeping in, smaller banks, banks from uh, different parts of the world, and they wanted to create a cartel to control the banking in America. And so they devised this thing called um, the Federal Reserve. Now, why did they call it the Federal Reserve? They wanted it to sound government-like, and they wanted it to sound like there was money in the form of a vault there. There's a lot in the name in there, so hence Federal Reserve. Okay, so the Federal Reserve was going to be a, a privately held corporation, but what it was going to do was it's going to give the government a way in which to borrow money without asking the taxpayers. Now, how does that happen? Okay, so the government goes to the Federal Reserve to get money. The Federal Reserve never had a vault. There was no vault of money. Still isn't a vault of money. So, so they would go to the Federal Reserve to get money. And how does that hurt us as taxpayers? Because it dilutes the amount of money we currently have. So if you have, if there's only 10 oranges left on the world, there's going to be a certain value, right? And then all of a sudden, if 10 oranges turns into 10,000 oranges, well, now you've got more supply, so that reduces the value of each individual orange. You see? So money's the same way. As you increase the amount of dollar bills in, in a you know, in a currency, in a, in a, in a country, um, you dilute the value, hence the name inflation. Inflation only exists because the way our banking system works, we're creating money all the time. Isn't this fascinating? You know, what does this have to do with real estate investing? Everything. Everything. Because banks control the real estate industry. A real estate deal doesn't close unless someone lends money, and there are some that pay cash for a property, but it's, again, the majority of, of transactions involve a bank. Or, in some cases, if it's a foreclosure, short sale, um, it's the selling of the, of the property as well. So understanding how this works is critically important. In fact, uh, there's a there's an individual, uh, last name of Beal, out of Texas, and uh, the name Beal Bank, you may have heard of it, may not have. He started off as a real estate investor, and he then saw how the banking industry worked, and he got into banking. And now he has one of the largest banks um, in this country and maybe in the world. And he saw this through the lens that lens you're seeing, and that is from a real estate investing perspective. All right, so... I'm going to summarize this in, in real short order. The Federal Reserve is neither federal nor reserve. It creates money out of thin air. The interest on, on, the, on, on the money that's borrowed from the Federal Reserve goes to privately, uh, the, the private owners of the Federal Reserve, who uh, I'm, I don't know who they are. Um, and the way our banking system works, 
is that it creates money out of thin air to lend and makes interest on money that doesn't exist. So don't feel bad about short sales and foreclosures. And that is how our money system works and the truth behind the Federal Reserve. I'm Phil Pustiowski with Freedom Mentor. And jump over to my website, freedommentor.com, and I'll talk to you soon.